Hi, Tim. Patrick. <laughs> Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me I tonight. Done, I haven't done too many of these, so I might have to set up the camera a little bit. Here we go. Welcome. Well, I must say, I'm very excited to have you and uh, very interested to, say, to hear what you have to say on this topic. Um, I would, thought I'd do a brief intro for those people who have not heard of you yet. Um, and I, I must say, I wish I'd done this earlier because I did, a, I did a bit of Googling and I really feel like I need to take more risks in my life now because you have had a very uh, exciting and colorful life from what I've read. I've just found your book review on Amazon as well. I thought that would be a good place to start, which is... Um, for those of you who haven't met, Patrick Treacy is, you grew, you grew up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. Mm -hmm. um, you became a doctor. To, in order to pay for your medical school training, you smuggled cars between Germany and Turkey, <laughs> which is a fantastic little fact. Well, I, I, I admire that immensely, that kind of, uh, I don't know what the word would be, chutzpah, solving the problem. That you have a whole book on your life, which, which I'm going to buy now that I know about it, called The Needle and the Damage Done, yes. and tells everyone about the time you were arrested in Baghdad and... Um, the time for a long period after a needle stick injury where you thought you may have HIV, which uh, we can all um, empathize with that because well, most of us have had needle stick injuries in a time when you can treat HIV. It gives you a lot of anxiety, sure. but you had it at a very different time. And that, that would seem to be a pivotal experience for you. Uh, I'd love to go into more of it, but I really want to hear your, your thoughts on this Hyrondes um, issue, which I think is, I heard you on the BBC last night. You sent me the link and the discussion about uh, side effects from hyaluron days, which patients, a few, I think a very small number of patients are talking about, but obviously it's a scary thing when people hear about them. And that is directly relevant to how much hyaluron days we're using in vascular occlusions, which was the topic that you messaged me on. And do you want to tell us a little bit about your views on that? Okay, well, let's start at the beginning. Um, I've been doing germ affairs since 1996, and I certainly have been using hyaluron days for over 20 years. Now, originally, when I started using hyaluronides, uh, we didn't really have vascular occlusions. We were using it for overfill, and I had to work out myself the um, units to use. At the time, um, we were getting American patients flying into Dublin every week because they didn't bring in hyaluronic acid fillers because of FDA approvals until 2005. So, I mean, I opened the Aylesbury in 1999. And we'd certainly have people from San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, every week in our clinic. And at the time, I suppose, originally, when the first vascular occlusions happened, I had already written a protocol back in 2007 that a lot of people didn't follow. And don't forget that in 2011, myself, Stephen Diane, and Claudio Lorenzo sat down as part of an expert group in in Los Angeles, in Las Vegas actually, and I was the one that was pushing, we have to use 1500. And even though Claudio wrote that letter or paper five years later, he himself was saying, you can't be using, you know, sort of um, units like that. And I didn't realize at the time Americans were using Hyanix, so to them 1500 units was horrendous because their values were only 150. Two big things happened, of course. Bird flu meant that collagen couldn't be got from rooster's combs. Then mad cow disease, it couldn't be got from hooves. So America turned slowly. And don't forget in 2006, when Michael Jackson had too much hyaluronic acid in his face and he had to meet the queen, um, uh, they sent him over to me to take it out because they hadn't used hyaluronic And um, it's funny, I had... Um, 
I suppose, written a protocol for bachelor occlusions then. But bachelor occlusions really went through the roof after that, Tim. And I, I think they went through the roof also because lidocaine was probably in, used uh, um, in fillers around the same time. And um, of course, that set up vascular occlusions probably because it caused dilation of the vessels. So um, the reason I suppose I contacted you was a couple of my nurses were on some WhatsApp groups and people were using 15 and 16 vials at a time. And they had been approached me, a lot of people did, and said, is this right? And I said, no, I've treated thousands probably of vascular occlusions at this stage. I've treated five in the last four days, including Sunday. Um, but mostly um, on WhatsApp or people sending me, um, not not in the clinic per se. I did three today, believe it or not. So people only get into trouble still, I suppose, send things and you can WhatsApp them through the process. Now, the first mistake I think people are making, outside the fact that they may be reading on American websites, it's okay to use 10 at a time, but 10 of theirs are equivalent to only one of ours. I suppose that's the first thing. The second thing, I think there's a false notion that people think that if you keep injecting in hyaluronidase, suddenly you're going to clear everything. You don't really see it clearing until days later. And I, on my mother's grave, I've treated in my own clinic probably hundreds of these as a consequence of social media, probably thousands. I've never used more than two vials in my life. And so it astounds me to think that, you know, uh, people are using them at this level. Now, the thing is, there is that group that has been set up and um, I myself think it's a bit unusual, to be fair. I've never really seen any problems from hyaluronidase. I know there's a lot of people that feel that they've got headaches and pains in their arms and all sorts of things. But I think if you set up any group, you'll get people who believe in different things from conspiracy theories right through to, we had this with, you know, ME, magic, mm -hmm. that is the term we had it with, you know, many, many things. My original protocols, use things like um, hyperbaric oxygen chambers. They're wonderful. They force oxygen into the vascular compromised tissue. I've reverted or reversed, I suppose, impending or necrotic tissue at the level of two weeks, certainly many, eight to 10 days. And even if the tissue does become, I suppose, compromised, there's many ways we can still treat it. Um, you've got to see it from the point of view that it's almost like a burn. The healing mechanisms of blood, um, right from all the cascading cytokines, the sort of growth factor of are missing. So we've got to bring it to the tissue. And I firmly believe that we use PRP stem cells in red light. We can reverse that whole epidermal mesenchymal transfer back into epidermal tissue. So I haven't seen a scar from a vascular occlusion in probably 12 years or more. And um, so it's almost like we're... But if you, I mean, wouldn't it be better to restore the blood flow so that you don't need all those other things but later you know, on? Necrotic tissue is dead, you know, so restoring the blood, you know, sort of um, has nothing to do with it. This is, you know, tissue that's 78 days into an occlusion. You're talking about an emergency situation one to two days into it. And of course we use hyaluronidase at that stage. We even use it later on. But I'm talking about when you have got dermal scarring, when you've got compromised tissue that's, you might as well, you know, sort of debride it, you know, that that tissue can be brought back also. So that's, I suppose, a separate thing, Tim, to the, mm -hmm. you know, one to two days.
Um, well, that, that's very exciting. What can be done if you miss the boat? Um, well, if you miss but the boat, in, yeah, but, but also in the first one or two days, I think hyperbaric oxygen should be used. It's very mm -hmm. cheap. It's in every English city. I don't know why it's not used. It's only about, you know, 50 euros an hour. It's widely used for vascular compromise by plastic surgeons. It's widely used in multiple cirrhosis. And it's wonderful because it even kills bacteria. You put somebody with a chronic UTI and have a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, it'll stop their UTIs. So you can imagine what it'll do for a face that potentially has, you know, an infection. And there seems to be common mistakes made. Uh, the first thing is reticular formation. That's just hyperemia. It's the body responding, trying to get other vessels open. And people take that blue, vellacious color as a bruise. And they add in aspirin, whereas probably, to be fair, it's not a thrombotic effect, it's an embolic effect. So we should be dissolving the filler, not potentially using, you know, prostaglandins to help us down the line. I'm not saying you shouldn't use aspirin, but it's almost also whenever sloughing occurs, people mistake it for an infection and they add in antibiotics. So suddenly if this patient loaded with different therapeutic mechanisms and pharmaceuticals, when probably all they need is hyaluronides and hyperbaric oxygen, and maybe also oral nitrates, you know, particularly iron and chialis, because um, I know about paradoxical hyperfilling, um, but it, it works during the night. You don't have to keep changing um, something like nitro paste, which I know has gone by the wayside after that Japanese um, paper, but still at the same time, there are basic things that should be used instead of bang, 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 you know, sort of, um, this. And I know a lot of papers now are saying you have to use an ultrasound to inject it exactly. I'm not against that. And um, that probably is progress. But um, I would have thought that probably just from experience and treatment alone, that the older theory of Hyaluronides making its way across the artery is, is probably, um, it has to be at least partially through. It's always worked for me. And I'm sure it didn't hit dead center interarterial, maybe on any occasion, if many occasions, you know. Uh, let me share with you our survey result, results, because sure. we, we surveyed um, the audience to see how much they, they used if they treated a VO. So we had 637 people say they wow, treated a survey, wonderful. And come here, um, is that the people who have treated VOs, yeah? That, that is what we asked for. Now, this wasn't one of those surveys that was tightly controlled. It's an I online say, survey. It does show you many are still out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so about 76% were within the realm of what you you use. So about okay. one to two vials. Sure. To treat okay. the vascular Um Then we had 17% who were two to four vials, or mm -hmm. in units, that's 3,000 3, to 6,000. Well, over what period, Tim? Is that over five or six days? Or in the first, so I'd, uh, because of the complexity of setting up a survey at short notice, I don't I don't know much else about them. So <laughs> one of, I mean, there's all sorts of questions I'd love to know, like were they early <laughs> diagnosed or suppose, like? Or Dr. Rwanda was a bit, I suppose, um, contributed to that because he has it down as high pulse repetitive. So where do you begin mm -hmm. and where do you end? You know, so yeah. Well, this, this is what I'd really love to get to. At the top end, about two. 2.6% uh, were over eight vials, so over 12,000 units. Uh, and the other thing that was interesting is that 12% of them reported that there was still tissue injury, which is quite high, um, I think. So 
it's it's uh, but I do think in the survey and I looked at the comments, I think some people were confusing tissue injury with signs of necrosis, which are obviously two different things. So it may be lower than that. So so let's let's go in terms of because what I'm picturing is you know the average aesthetic nurse in the UK is by herself in a clinic without very many clever um, uh, machines to help her, sure. and she's got a VO. Yes. What 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 would you what would you say would be a reasonable thing to do because i i think it's a, it's it's incredibly high stakes for that person at that moment sure. to okay. not I, I give go a lot of, of procedures i say the vast majority of the people i get are nurses from britain um, i know i get people from australia saudi arabia india and all the rest but that that is a target market and you're right they do feel isolated and you know they're sort of and, and sad to say as well that sometimes not so much now, but certainly in the past, I suppose, since people know how to do this, they turned to colleagues, particularly in the British College, for help, and were turned away, which I, I felt very sad as well, because I direct them to somebody in that particular town. So the first thing is, I suppose, not to panic. You have control over it, unless, and I got a really bad, alas, say, one today. Um, unfortunately, um, I suppose the first thing is always use hyaluronic acid when you're near a vascular um, lesion. Um, I, I'm an advocate, as you know, over the years of bioalchemid um, originally for HIV, for um, the calcium hydroxyapatites and all the forms. And these have wonderful uses in certain areas. But if you're near an exit or a major vascular structure, particularly an artery, infraorbital, facial, transverse facial, I think only hyaluronic acid should be used. So the fact that you have got hyaluronic acid means, and you've hyaluronic days with you, your panic is almost over. So the first thing is obviously to agitate the tissue to see where the embolus move on, warm the tissue, maybe if you've got a microwave or a hot tap with some warm gauze and um, start your, I suppose, capillary count to see um, what sort of trouble you're in. There's no problem at any stage, you know, sort of getting in touch with myself or you, for a colleague to be, you know, sort of there to, to help them through the, I suppose, distress in front of the patient because the patient can, I suppose, read their face also that there's, there's trouble happening. So what I normally do is this, Tim, I get a good heart, I suppose, ampule. I take bacteriostatic saline and I make it to one mil. Then I withdraw an up 0.5 from that and I withdraw bacteriostatic saline. So each one then in the two mil has got 1500. So each not 0.1 is 75 units. So I can use the 1500 straight away or I can do it as a split thing to get the patient to come back within 24 hours. I know where the vessel is and don't forget also I suppose, not only the proximal distribution, but the sort of distal one to track it and sort of, you know, just go around it, 10 shots, 75 each time and leave it sit. If it doesn't clear, it will clear, you know? And that's where you have to sort of stop the panic at the time and bring them back and, and do it, you know, sort of um, 12 hours later, always be on the end of a phone, have a um, uh, the patient being able to contribute any time and expect it to get worse before it gets better. You know, you can look at these after a while and say, listen, this is going to get worse for the next two or three days. Don't panic. And then you'll see a turn in this and um, 
the tissue will begin to come back to its normal color. And most of them clear in five to seven days. But the thing is, if you keep pumping hyaluronidase and hyaluronidase into it, you probably won't see the tissue magically coming back to normal. But, you know, for the person starting off, it's a difficult thing. You know, Lewis Hamilton can go out and win the Bakrian Grand Prix because he knows every corner on the course. But somebody starting for the first time doesn't know what's ahead of them, so they're going to be sort of slower. And as a consequence, you know, when they get some under their belt, they can easily turn around the page and say, you will be fine. Don't, you know, sort of too worried about this. And also, if they want to contact somebody else, don't stop them doing that. If they want to go to the hospital, you know that they may get less, you know, sort of... Um, I suppose, treatment there, to be honest. But um, but that's fine. You know, uh, if the patient thinks you're hiding something, if the patient thinks you're compromising their potential, you know, sort of problem to their face, that can turn legal at that stage. And I've been expert witness in a lot of vascular occlusions. I never go in against the procedure list. And, and my house is always open as well from the point of view that if beauticians come to me with problems, I never say you shouldn't be doing this. Some of them come with their own highly rounders because I think as soon as you, you know, sort of forget that the patient is the victim here, um, you can't, if you've done your, I think you have like myself, Tim, and you get a rapist and you've got to treat them they've got a heart attack. You can't be the moral police telling them, you know, what they shouldn't be doing in social life. And I think it's the same thing. Um, I have a run of beauty therapists, I suppose, bringing in problems to me. And I never once would, you know, turn around in front of them or the patient and say, you know, you really shouldn't be getting your hyaluronidase in from such and such. You've got a problem, deal with it. You know, once the patient is um, coming out the other end a week later or something, then you can say what you have to say, you know, because the patient probably will read the situation that they're in quite a lot of distress. I'm, I'm, I'm in the situation where I'm picturing an aesthetic nurse in the UK who's, who's done her 1500 units Yes. Is she waiting for capillary refill to return to normal before sending her patient home? It's a very or... good question. And certainly my experience is that I haven't done that. I know that sort of some people would feel happier going to bed that night if capillary refill was back uh, and, uh, you know, sort of um, not sitting at five to seven or whatever. Um, I've often let them home and see them the next morning and assume that, you know, sort of it's going to work overnight. So... I've sort of taken those risks many, many times. And um, particularly if you're doing it on WhatsApp or you're doing it on FaceTime, I had a case in Lebanon and um, last year, well, during the lockdown, like, it was a really bad one. And um, we couldn't get cap refill to sort of um, change at all for two days, you know and I mean? And we were doing it up close to see if it had been done properly. And the doctor involved was a plastic surgeon and the patient eventually came around. She took two or three mm -hmm. weeks, but she was fine in the end, you know. But I just see one of the questions that came in there was regarding lidocaine. And I do advocate the use of lidocaine instead of bacteriostatic saline. The only problem with it is potentially somebody could take lidocaine as xylocaine with adrenaline in it and exacerbate the situation. So certainly if you have lidocaine that, you know, you would use in a digit, it is a vasodilator, and I do use it myself as a mix all the time. In fact, the first 0.5 mils, or sorry, the first mix that I do, the 0.5 mils that I draw out with bacteriostatic saline, I mix it then with 0.5 of lidocaine. 
but not solo can. And um, I find that that is effective. Sorry, Tim, I crossed against you because I see, you know, sort of one of the ones. Somebody else has asked about GTN patches. We, we've decided against GTN patches. The first thing is that because Syncable, and I've had a patient actually go on Syncable on me um, with them. The second thing, they have to be used, I suppose, every half hour or an hour. The third thing is there is a paper that came out in 2017 from um, Japan that said it can cause paradoxical uh, filling down the line because it dilates other vessels. Uh, I have used Kialis 20 milligrams and um, Kialis lasts for 48 hours. Use it for two days. It works at night time. And um, that is the nitrate that I would, you know, sort of advocate. So, yeah, my question was around uh, the, the well, as you said, the confidence to send someone home, but also because you've only got one shot to get this right, um, or at least that's the, the perception, that it makes sense to keep your patient with you and keep basically keep adding higher layers until the capillary refill is normal. And that that's, has actually been my approach. And I've probably used, you know, I think the first one was close to what you would talk about, but I've used more than that in an emergency as well. Sure. And just kept the patient with me all the way through until capillary refill was normal. Uh, and that was because I had a great deal of uncertainty about exactly what hyaluronidase was capable of. And, and also without an ultrasound back in those days of being sure about if I was correct about exactly where the occlusion was. And it's this kind of uncertainty that I think keeps people going for another round. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't know if we will ever, because what I was, obviously you've seen so many that you have a different, a different level of, of experience. It's just very different um, than, than if you, most practitioners will see a, a few in their lifetime. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, the I, tricky. I think the first mistake is the fact that we learn anatomy two dimension. And you know, if somebody keeps getting vascular occlusions, and I know somebody who's had five, then I begin to get worried. But I'd never blame a doctor, a nurse, or a dentist for getting into trouble because the vessel can be anywhere, it can be at any depth. Now, most of them we know are at 1.3 centimeters, but you know, you're going to have the odd person that could have in a different position. The second thing is it's worth anybody looking at the course of the facial artery within the face. The facial artery doesn't come up here and go up the dorsal laser to the eye. You know, everybody believes it does. I mean, that's what, 34% max? Most of it terminates here. Some of it terminates here and they get collateral ones. So, you know, the normal uh, thing we have in our head, and this is where ultrasound, you know, maybe of benefit going down the line. And I suppose the third thing is this is a, progressive therapeutic science. Nobody has the real answers. I mean, if anybody, I'm at fault because I should be doing retrospective studies, but I'm so optimized, I suppose, with, uh, you know, trying to get a clinic back on its feet, particularly after, you know, sort of that horrible Irish recession. I hate going on about that, but, you know, I mean, wow. You know, I mean, we had 22 clinics around the world at one stage, you know, and, um, now it's fine, but sometimes, like I'm in Cork at the weekend, I think I have 100 patients to see in two days. So, you know, to sit down and start writing papers, you need something like the lockdown again, you know? Aesthetic medicine isn't that old, so you've you've been there right from hmm. when it was a, a much smaller thing and sure. seen develop into what it is now. What, what Have you seen a different pattern of complications coming through now compared with 10 years ago? Um... 
Yes, I think as the knowledge of complications becomes, or how to deal with them, more prevalent, because of people like yourself, Mark the King and the Yes Group and that, I'm getting less of vascular occlusions. And people know how to deal with themselves. But certainly, 10 to 5 years ago, I would get 3 to 5 every single day from around the world. And um, those were heady days, interesting days. The same way as we started using Botox. I started using Botox for sweating in Australia in 1997. I started using it for migraine in Dublin in 1999. And they were really exciting days because, you know, you're trying to figure out, do I use paracervical, do you do trapezius, do you do, you know, sort of, uh, all the muscles, you're working them out, and you, you get a belly of knowledge. And I think it's the same thing now that certain people can almost deal with their own problems. So that has changed. Um, also, the horrendous problems we used to have, particularly with, um, I suppose, vascular and secondary to calcium hydroxyapatite, boy, we had some interesting ones, you know. And I mean, a lot of those were in the hands of God, not in the hands of the doctor, because, you know, they ended up in plastic surgery, particularly noses, you know, we used to have to have a lot of skin grafts in those days. Yeah, it's getting better and better, but also the broad bass base of who's doing things is getting wider and wider. Uh, aesthetic medicine has certainly been a product of its own, um, I suppose, favor or, or interest from the point of view that it has totally exploded in a way that it didn't in the beginning. Um, I was wondering also with this, if because I was thinking about how my practice has changed um, in the last, well, since 2008, and how things have got much more holistic um, for the face. Now, there may have been in other parts of the world, but certainly in the UK, I think we've, we've moved from doing nasolabial folds and then lips to suddenly everything. You know, people do non-surgical rhinoplasty, chins and jawlines and foreheads in one session. And whether you'd seen any different kind of vascular occlusions from those kind of bigger treatments, bigger volumes, or I was trying to think why would we be using more Hyalurondase if that's the case? And it, I, was, I was wondering if that was maybe a factor that some of these injections are higher volume or more complex because they're in different parts of the face. I find that people who do high volume are often arrogant people and they're often quite well trained and they don't tend to at least um, come to me with problems. I think the increased use of it has to do with an increased um, number of people doing it. You know, um, there was a time that non-medical um, people wouldn't consider doing it, but, but now a lot of people are. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that we look, you know, sort of at some of the treatments beauticians are doing with these gross big lips and all the rest. And, you know, that's young people, that's their fashion, let them do it, you know? We're no different than the mothers of kids during the Beatles era saying, what, those guys have got long hair? You know, fashion has changed and what looks ridiculous to us may not look ridiculous to other people. You know, so I don't know where the, it's all going to end. Britain certainly has a problem with everybody injecting everywhere. And I think until either we stop this medical device and make it a prescription, it should be a prescription anyway, because most of the products are have got lignocaine in them. So, I mean, they are prescribable. The second thing is, at least in Ireland, we're getting flooded with Chinese variants. And some of the patients I'm seeing, you know, that are um, 
bringing in their products. They look the real thing, but I don't think they are, you know, there's no hologram mm -hmm. boxes. And more importantly, the people who supply the clinics tell me we never gave them that product. So I don't know where they're getting stuff. You know? What do you think about pain as an indicator? Do you think it's possible to have a vascular occlusion and not get any pain and for a tissue to necrose or is well, it good? Pain is the first indicator of vascular occlusion, but unfortunately when we're using fillers with lidocaine, we can't use it as an indicator anymore. But certainly I think in anything with aesthetics, particularly lasers, if a patient says hurting me, there's a problem, you know, and certainly we know the certain patients that are afraid of needles, the ones that are a little wimpy, they pull back. That's a different type of pain than a patient saying, that's hurting me. If it's hurting you, there's a problem, you know, and mm -hmm. I'd stop immediately and I'd respect pain as an indicator of a problem, you know. Yeah, uh, but not as sensitive as it could be because of lidocaine. And, you know, if there's somebody standing on your foot and it's causing pain, the answer is to get them off your foot. It's not to take a painkiller. So, I mean, this is exactly the same thing in aesthetics, you know? If somebody's in pain, you know, don't say, you know, take your painkiller, dislodge whatever's causing the pain, work it out and deal with the primary, you know, sort of effect rather than the cause down the line, which would include obviously how you run this in the absence, maybe even of seeing a problem, you know? If the patient's saying, listen, my eye or my face is hurting, it may be worth your while, you know, getting out your hiring around this and treating it anywhere because you've lots of filler, you know, but you're letting that patient home and then suddenly you could get the call in the middle of the night or the beloved photograph the next morning, Tim, you know yourself. Well, um, I wish we could keep going. I've, I'm not double booked, but slightly double booked. I've got to go on and do another call now with my mastery students. Um, but I will, uh, I'm very, very grateful for your time. It's been a fascinating conversation. And just in the research, I've learned much more about your life. And I hope mm -hmm. everyone who's listening follows you. And then you can let them know about the conference as well through your own platform. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Okay. Thank you very much for your time, Patrick. Okay. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night.